0: morning. Can y'all hear me okay? Good? Okay. So if y'all have been here for the last uh, several weeks, uh, we've been in a series entitled Parables of Jesus. So the first week, Chris kind of communicated and talked about what is the purpose of parables? Why did Jesus communicate parables to his audience and we see that in scripture and, and Chris was sharing that really Jesus was proclaiming truth to those who had eyes to see and ears to hear and likewise kind of hid and confided the truth to those who did not have eyes to see or ears to hear and last week we uh, talked a little bit about uh, the parable of the sowers uh, in our small group so y'all had an opportunity to, to dive in and read through the scripture but also you had an opportunity to look at the explanation of what the parable of the soils uh, actually meant. What did Jesus mean by this parable specifically? Now, I wanted to just give a little recap of what the four uh, soils represented before we dive into our main text today. So, uh, And you'll see some visuals on the screen, which they're amazing, by the way, amazing visuals. So first, what, can anyone share what is the first soil In Matthew 13. What was the first soil that was communicated? Anyone shout it out? Path! Path. That's right. The path, which is, even if it's not on the screen, I will share it with you. It represents someone, right, who hears the gospel, who hears the word, but doesn't understand it, right? Doesn't embrace it. And so, therefore, the evil one, there it is. The evil one snatches the word away that was sown. And what was communicated to that person so the second soil we see in this passage is what anyone shout it out rock, rock. that's it rocks so look at those rocks right there so this rocky soil represents right someone who has heard the word initially uh, and was attracted to the message but but really when trouble or persecution comes they fall away quickly so what's the third soil? Can anyone shout it out for me? Thorns. Thorn, who said that? Thorns. There we go. Thorns, which represents, right, a person who hears the word, but because of the worries of life and the deceitfulness of, of wealth, the word is choked out. And so this soil does not bear any fruit. And so lastly, we have what? Fertile soil. Fertile so- Yes, fertile or Good soil. Which is a person who hears the word, who hears the truth, and understands it, right, and embraces it. So, now, as we look at all these four soils, and if we look at the uh, Matthew 13, we see that Jesus says that this seed that is put into all the different soils is not different, right? This seed is the same seed and comes From the same uh, sower so the seed that thrives in the good soil is the same seed right that uh, intermingles with the other seeds so we see that the seed or the word of god is not the problem in this parable secondly we'll notice that the sower right or the farmer is not really questioned in this passage his farming techniques his Uh, sowing techniques are not criticized so it's not the sower's fault right that the seed that was sown in the good soil is thriving while the other seeds did not allow the seed to grow so if the problem is not the sower in this passage or the problem is not the seed then what is the problem If, if you all remember from last week we see that the problem in this passage is the soil right and We know that studying the passage, the the soils represent the condition of the heart of the person, right? So if we know that, really the difference between the path, the thorn, and the rocky soil versus the good soil is that the path, thorn, and rocky soil are hearts that are not changed, right? Hearts that are not changed. So my question to you, students, I want to pose is, Why is it it important for a person's heart to be changed? Why is it important for a person's heart to be changed? So thankfully, you know, I'm probably not the first person to ask this question. I'm sure you all have asked this of yourselves or considered this type of question. And we actually find this type of question considered in uh, the book of John. John chapter 3, 1 through 10. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to open to John 3, 1 through 10. And so in this passage, we find Jesus uh, having a conversation with a Jewish leader about this very issue of the heart. So as you're flipping, I will go ahead and begin reading. So it says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. He cannot enter in the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? So, as I was thinking about Nicodemus in this story, uh, one of the first things that we should all know, and it clearly says in the text that he wasn't this just regular guy. wasn't this, this uh, kind of Joe, Joe Schmo, just having a regular conversation with Jesus, right? He was a Pharisee, right? And Pharisees had a deep, deep passion and seriousness of the law of God. And so in the Old Testament, we know that there's about uh, three or 613 commandments. And as a Pharisee, Nicodemus was committed to not only knowing these commandments by heart, obeying them all, all the do's, all the don'ts, but Pharisees were committed to obeying the law, that they would actually stand in a group of people, maybe two or three, and actually take a vow to the Lord saying that basically they would follow every word of the law, not just for a day or for a week, not just, you know, for a uh, New Year's resolution, but they were committed to following every word until they died, and not only was Nicodemus uh, committed to obeying the law, but he was committed to living a godly life, meaning that He was so committed to obeying the law, and we know that God's law is good and beneficial, Then we can probably infer that Nicodemus was trying to be as good of a person as he could, right? And so he was focused on probably trying to be honest, right? Trying not to envy other people, or he was probably trying to love the Lord with all of his heart and his mind and trying to love others as well. Etc. Right. There's a lot of things that he probably did. But we also see in verse 10 that Jesus alluded to Nicodemus being Israel's teacher, Israel's teacher, which means he was probably one of the main teachers of Israel at this time. He wasn't just a Pharisee, but he was probably one of the most knowledgeable and excellent communicators of this time. So he would basically be like a modern-day, you know, like Tom Brady, if you will, of the Patriots. Sorry, New England Patriots fans, that's just the reality. Sorry. Uh, or uh, Sandra Bullock for actresses, right? Go Sandra. So he was the cream of the crop, you know, the best of the best. So at, at face value, if you look at Nicodemus, right, if you just look at his credentials, you might think, dang, this, this guy's like a poster child of what it means to be like, an all-star, obedient person to the Lord, right? We even see Nicodemus being respectful and kind to Jesus, which is uncommon for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and people of this time. So in, Nicodem- or in verse 2, Nicodemus refers to Jesus as rabbi, as teacher, which we know that Nicodemus was a prominent teacher, so this would have been a huge compliment to him huge and so jesus knowing all these things that he that nicodemus was a passionate serious man of god that he followed the law as best as he could that he was an excellent and knowledgeable communicator all these things jesus knew but in verse three it says no one can see the kingdom of god unless they are born again and he was talking to nicodemus I mean, what a a blow that must have been for this guy. Everything that he thought he knew, everything that he came to understand about God and his religion, his status, his credentials, everything he identified himself as that made him right before God was just shattered by just one verse, by one sentence from Jesus. And... As I was thinking about Nicodemus, uh, I was thinking of a personal example for myself. This is hypothetical, by the way. Uh, but what, if, what would have happened if I went to college for four years, which that's not hypothetical. Graduated on time, did pretty well. Uh, <laughs> went to college for four years. Got good grades. I only got decent grades. Got good grades. <laughs> Passed all of my tests. You know, was a star student. And four years after working hard graduation day i was about ready to go up the stairs the president was looking all you know spiffy i was looking all spiffy and as he was about to hand me the diploma he said uh son you can't receive this diploma because you didn't take all the necessary classes you should have i mean i would have been mortified Right, Because I thought I had met all of the credentials, all the things that would get me this diploma. I, w- I would have been mad, confused, right? And I'm sure that Nicodemus thought in a similar way, in order to, get, to the, get the diploma or to obey God, right, he had to meet certain criteria. And by his own standards, he did a pretty good job. But Jesus knew Nicodemus' heart. He knew that he needed to be changed. And that is why Jesus said, you have to be born again. So in verse 5 and 6 we read, Jesus expressing that being born again is an act of God. Is an act of God. So really, born again literally means being born from above. So what Jesus was trying to communicate to Nicodemus is that God changing a person's heart is the only way, right? The only hope for a person to have salvation and eternal life. So Nicodemus was so focusing, or so focused on obeying and and following the law that he missed this critical an important credential in order to enter in the kingdom of God. And I, we actually find it in, t- in the text that it's interesting, Jesus pointing out in, to Nicodemus in verse 7, that he shouldn't have been surprised that he must be born again. I don't know if you know Jesus was throwing shade at Nicodemus or what, but we see that Nicodemus must have forgot or he neglected this text or, didn't understand the Old Testament completely, but in Ezekiel chapter 36, 25 through 37, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all of your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So we see this was a prophecy that was showing that God was going to give his people a new heart, put his spirit into his people to enable his people to obey the laws. What an amazing promise that is right that's what jesus was trying to get across to nicodemus i also find it interesting that if you read in this passage we we never really get the full understanding of jesus or if nicodemus rather uh, was saved we never got resolution if he was born again or not the bible is kind of silent on that but the bible isn't isn't silent about why not only Nicodemus's heart needed to be changed, but Jesus was sending a message that every person's heart needed to be changed. And if we're honest, I think a lot of us right in this room are like Nicodemus in some ways, right? Some of us find comfort and peace and security in our outward expressions of faith, meaning maybe we do read our Bibles and Maybe we do seek the Lord in prayer. And maybe we attend church or attend STS regularly or, you know, we, we, we take communion. We got baptized. We love people the best we can. We obey our parents some of the time. And, and when we don't, we feel bad about it and we say, I'm sorry to God. Right? But, but really... The question we need to ask is, why do we do these things in the first place? Why do we read our Bibles? Why do we go to church? Why do we do these good deeds? Is it because we're working to gain God's approval? Or we're trying to make ourselves look good, like Nicodemus? Or we're trying to impress our parents so they would get off our backs about spiritual stuff? I don't know what it is, but do we genuinely love God? And have our hearts been changed by the gospel? And are we doing these things because it's an overflow of a gratitude and a thankfulness for what Christ has done for us? Or maybe some of us in this room are not like Nicodemus in that we know we don't follow God as best we could. We know we don't pray as often as we would like. We know we sin and mess up and fall short of not only God's standards, but our own. Can I just encourage you that, as someone who can relate to this, that God gives grace to the humble. For it is by grace we've been saved, through Christ, and it's a gift. Not by works. So, The truth of the gospel tells us we do fail to live up to God's standards and our own. And ultimately reveals the brokenness of a heart that only God by his grace can change. So I want us to go back to Matthew 13, the parable of the soils. Just one verse, Matthew 13, 23. It says, what was sown on good soil? This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, in another 30. For those who have the good soil, for those whose hearts have been changed by the gospel, what does it look like then to bear fruit or to be effective in our walk and our faith in Christ? Now, I think one of the more helpful examples that I've come across for me in regards to understanding what it means to be effective, to bear fruit in our faith is it's a little visual aid that's helped me over the years. Grace plus truth over time equals growth. Grace plus truth over time equals growth. Now, I just want to be clear that this is not like a perfect equation that will solve all your spiritual problems in a matter of seconds. This is not it at all, but this kind of imagery helps me to understand that God is full of grace and full of truth, and that as Christians, our lives should be marked by God's grace, meaning that our mistakes, our sins, our active rebellion, our passive indifference, these things are forgiven by Christ, and we don't have to earn God's love and acceptance because we have it in him already. Additionally, our lives are marked by truth, meaning the word of God, the inerrant, the sufficient word, is to challenge, to encourage, to correct us, so that we become more like Christ. So I think one of the hardest parts, though, in our Christian walk is that It's not a short sprint, it's a long process. It takes time. But really one of the biggest indicators of someone who has the good soil, whose heart has been changed, is time, is time. Now, if you look at all the different types of soils, right? All four types, you'll notice that after a matter of time, the path, thorn, rocky soils, they don't grow. They don't grow, but the good soil produces a crop. It produces fruit, whether 30, 60, or 100, right? But it didn't happen overnight. It takes time. Now, I would argue that as Christians, our biggest role in that, our biggest responsibility in bearing fruit or being effective in our walk in Christ is that we abide, that we abide in him. Stay connected, persevere, be patient with Christ in a relationship with him. In John 15, it says, Jesus tells his people, if we remain in him, we will bear fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Now, there are times, right, that we will feel like we're amongst thorns or that we'll be amongst thorns the path or the rocky soil it's gonna be hard to follow christ there will be idols in your life that you just don't want to give up at the time there will there will be times where for one reason or another because of your faith or for a particular belief of the christian faith that people are just gonna think you're weird or hate you or what or whatever it is right or there'll be a hard time or a trial And you're going to want to question God. You're going to want to question his goodness and his sovereignty in the midst of it. But, or even, you may want to even renounce your faith or say, God, I'm done. I'm done with this. But if and when these things happen, just remember that for those who have the good soil, for those who have been saved by Jesus who have their hearts changed. And we can be confident of this, that he began a good work, will carry it into completion in Christ Jesus. That as we persevere with Christ and remain in him, we can trust that he will, the Holy Spirit will empower us, right? To be effective, to bear fruit, no matter what season of life, throughout our whole lives, for his glory. Let us pray.